Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray. Today we have Chapter 2 of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Chapter 2 is called Train to Mythologia. Actually, this chapter is really long, so this will be Chapter 2, Part 1. Well, said Parrot, it was around the year when Hengist Hannibal Junketberry finished his magicianship. Being the seventh son of a seventh son of a seventh son, he had, not unnaturally, finished at the top of his class, and received, among other honours, the Merlin Award. "'Is that the best you can get?' asked Penelope. "'It means you're almost as good a magician—it <laughs> means you're almost as good a magician as Merlin, and he was the best.' Now, at the time when Hengist Hannibal left the University of Magic with his prize, which consisted of the three books I've already mentioned, and a pointed hat, and a magic wand, his old teacher begged him to specialize in something, and make a name for himself. The country was too full of third-rate magicians, all mumbling the same old spells, and Hengist Hannibal's teacher thought that, with his talents, he should go far. Well, after some thought, he decided to take up mythological animals, because no one was doing them in those days. "'What's a mythological animal?' whispered Peter to Simon. "'An imaginary one, like a sea serpent,' Simon whispered back. "'Very soon,' Parrot went on, "'if anyone wanted to know how many toes a dragon had, or how long a mermaid's hair was, they automatically went to Hengist Hannibal Junketberry,' as he was the authority on the subject. In fact, a lot of the information in Topsell's History of Four-Footed Beasts came from Junketberry, but Topsell doesn't give him credit. Professional jealousy, that's what. Parrot paused, reached under his wing, and took out a tiny gold snuff-box, took a pinch of snuff, and sneezed violently into his spotted handkerchief. "'I told you you'd catch cold without your cloak!' "'shouted Dulcibel angrily. "'Why don't you use your common sense?' "'Parrot ignored her. "'After a few years, however,' he continued, "'Hengist Hannibal suddenly found his trade dropping off, "'if I may put it like that. "'He found that people were no longer coming to him "'for a unicorn's horn, "'or a vial full of phoenix ashes against lightning. "'And the reason for this,' he soon discovered, "'was that people were no longer believing.' Parrot paused, and gazed at them sternly. "'I don't understand,' said Simon, frowning. "'If the animals were mythological in the first place, then they didn't exist.' "'Foolish boy,' said Parrot. "'They existed when people believed in them.' "'I don't see how a thing can exist simply because you believe in it,' said Simon stubbornly. "'Not you. Uh, not just you. A whole lot of people,' said Parrot. "'Look,' At one time nobody believed in steam engines or paddle steamers, right? So there weren't any. Then a lot of people started believing in steam engines and paddle steamers, and bang! Thunder! shouted Dulcibel. Soon there were so many steam engines and paddle steamers you could hardly move. Well, it was the same with mythological animals, said Parrot. As long as enough people believed in them, there were plenty of animals. But as soon as people started disbelieving in them, then bang! Their population dwindled away. "'That's two claps of thunder I've heard,' shouted Dulcibel. "'Come in, or you'll be struck by lightning.' "'Oh, do be quiet,' said Parrot impatiently. "'Why don't you go and spin yourself something?' 
"'What?' asked Dulcibel. "'Oh, anything,' said Parrot. "'I'll spin a wimple,' said Dulcibel. "'I've always wanted a wimple.' "'Things soon became so bad,' continued Parrot, "'that Hengist Hannibal was at his wit's end. "'Unicorns down to the last four pairs, "'sea serpents you couldn't find for love or money. "'It was terrible, simply because nobody believed any more.' "'What did Mr. Junketberry do?' asked Penelope, fascinated. "'Parrot looked around carefully to make sure they were not overheard. "'Then he put a wing up to his beak. "'He created a country called Mythologia,' said Parrot, in a hoarse whisper. "'But where is it?' asked Penelope. "'And how did that solve everything?' asked Peter. "'Wait, wait, wait,' said Parrot. "'All in good time.' "'You haven't seen my spinning pattern for a wimple, have you?' shouted Dulcibel. "'No,' said Parrot fiercely. "'I have not.' He paced up and down on the top of the cage for a while, wings behind his back, and then he stopped. Well, Hengist Hannibal found Mythologia quite by accident one day. He was walking in the hills, and he came to this cave. Entering it, out of curiosity, he found it led him to a gigantic cavern under the earth, with a vast inland sea dotted with numerous islands. Immediately he could see that this was exactly what he wanted. After all, the world was fast becoming so disbelieving and so overcrowded, there was scarcely any room left for real animals, let alone mythological ones. So he took it over, and, with the aid of a few very potent spells, he made it most habitable, most habitable indeed. Then all the remaining mythological animals were moved down there, and each was given its own island or piece of sea, and everybody settled down most happily. You see, as long as we all believed in each other, we were safe. Parrot paused, wiped away a tear, and blew his beak violently. "'I told you you'd catch cold!' shouted Dulcibel. "'Did you listen to me? No, no!' "'Our government, if you like to call it that,' Parrot went on, "'consisted of the three talking books and Hengist Hannibal Junketberry, "'and a very good and fair and kind government it was. "'As I've told you, I was made keeper of the words, "'and part of my job was to come out into the real world "'once every hundred years or so "'and make a report of what was going on. "'Well, Dulcibel and I have just been staying with my cousin in India. "'He owns the Maharaja of Jaipur. "'He's a terrible snob, with an international passport and a Rolls-Royce and everything. "'But he keeps me up to date on the Far Eastern situation. "'Anyway, we came back from this trip, and what do you think we found?' "'The children waited, breathless. "'We found,' said Parrot, in a deep, mournful, solemn voice, "'that the cockatrices had revolted. "'Not only that, but they'd stolen the three talking books of government. "'Can you imagine anything more hideous, horrendous, or horrifying?' "'No,' said the children truthfully, "'because the way Parrot said it, it sounded just like the end of the world.' "'Quite right,' said Parrot approvingly. "'But please,' said Penelope, "'before you go any further, can you please explain what a cockatrice is?' "'Yes, please do, Parrot,' said Simon and Peter. "'Well,' said Parrot, "'well, I must confess, though we in Mythologica believe in live— "'Oh, sorry. "'Well, I must confess, though we in Mythologia believe in live and let live, "'I must confess I've never really liked the cockatrices. "'Noisy, vulgar, and vain. 
That, more or less, sums them up. Careless, too. Always breathing out fire and setting things alight. Dangerous. What do they look like? Well, most unprepossessing, I think. They're about as big as you are, with the body of a cockerel, the tail of a dragon, and scales instead of feathers. Of course, they're colorful, with their red and gold and green scales, if you like that sort of thing. Personally, I think it's terribly brash and vulgar. But what do they breathe fire for? asked Peter. I don't know, really, said Parrot. They were just thought up like that, but it's jolly dangerous, I can tell you. Hengist Hannibal was going to build them a special fireproof castle to live in. The first one they had, they burned down within twenty-four hours of moving into it. Now they're living in the castle H.H. used to reside in before he moved up to the Crystal Caves, and I expect they'll burn that down eventually. "'Aren't they terribly dangerous creatures to have around?' asked Penelope. "'Not if you control their numbers,' answered Parrot. "'We never allowed more than ten dozen at any one time.' "'But how do you manage to do that?' asked Simon. "'It was one of the laws,' said Parrot. "'So many unicorns, so many mandrakes, so many cockatrices, and so on. "'We had to, otherwise we'd have been overrun. "'There's only room for a certain number of us in Mythologia, you see.' Mind you, the cockatrices are always trying to get their numbers up, always coming to H.H. with some story of having no one to do their washing. Well, it's all a bit complicated, really. You see, cockatrices are only hatched out of eggs laid by the two golden cockerels. They're dull birds, no conversation, just sit around saying cock-a-doodle-doo in a fatuous manner all day. Well, once every hundred years they lay an egg. "'But I thought only hens laid eggs,' said Penelope, confused. "'Hens lay eggs that hatch into other hens,' corrected Parrot. "'Golden cockerels lay eggs that hatch into cockatrices.' "'His answer so muddled Penelope "'that she decided not to ask any more questions. "'Once the golden cockerels have laid a cockatrice's egg, "'then their job is done,' explained Parrot. "'They then let off a couple of boastful doodle-doos "'and hand the whole thing over to the toads.' "'The toads?' said Penelope. "'What have toads got to do with it?' asked Simon. "'They hatch the eggs, of course,' said Parrot. "'Only thing they're fit for, those toads, "'brainless, dithering creatures. "'The only thing they do well is hatching cockatrice's eggs. "'You know, if you keep interrupting me like this, "'I'll never finish the story.' "'Sorry,' Simon said contritely. "'Well,' said Parrot, "'the cockatrices decided that if they could get the great book of spells, "'it would tell them how to make the golden cockerels lay a cockatrice egg every day. "'So they got into league with the toads, "'who are, who are a flibberty-gibberty sort of creature and easily led, "'and together they not only kidnapped the golden cockerels, "'but stole the three great books of government. "'When Dulcibel and I returned, "'they'd locked themselves up in their castle "'and were producing cockatrice eggs like a... "'Like a... like a... "'Battery farm,' suggested Simon. "'Exactly,' said Parrot. Twenty-five eggs at the last count. "'One a day they're producing. "'The whole of Mythologia will be overrun with cockatrices "'unless we do something. "'Or rather, unless I do something. "'You see, over the last two hundred years or so, H. H. has become very frail and forgetful, "'and he's left more and more of the running of the thing to me.' "'but I can't do anything without the great books. 
Dulcibel and I were planning to go and try to talk some sense into the silly cockatrices, but we were set upon in the middle of the night by those illiterate, ill-favoured, and insolent toads, bundled up into a vulgar brown-paper parcel, and thrown into the river. Me! Parrot! My blood boils at the thought. Wait until I get my wings on those toads!' "'But what about Mr. Junketberry?' asked Penelope. "'Poor man, what's happened to him?' "'He's in despair, poor fellow,' said Parrot. "'He was in his magician's cave with a hysterical dragon on his hands the last time I saw him.' "'Dragon?' asked Peter, who was feeling a bit dazed. "'Tabitha, the last of the dragons,' explained Parrot. "'Nice enough creature in her way, but so useless. "'She let the cockatrices have the dragon eggs as well.' When she realized what she'd done, of course, she had hysterics. No stamina, these dragons. "'Don't you think you ought to get back as soon as possible?' asked Penelope anxiously. "'I mean, before all the cockatrices hatch?' "'Exactly,' said Parrot. "'But I can't do it without help.' "'We'll help,' said Penelope eagerly. "'We'll do anything, won't we, Peter, Simon?' "'Yes,' chorused the boys. "'Anything, just tell us.' "'You're too kind,' said Parrot, wiping away a tear. "'Too kind.' "'In fact, I wouldn't mind coming with you,' said Peter, pugnaciously, "'and helping you give those cockatrices a good hiding.' "'Yes,' said Simon, "'and those odious toads.' "'Couldn't we come back with you?' asked Penelope. "'I mean, we might be of some help.' "'My dear young people,' said Parrot, "'quite overcome with emotion.' "'You're too kind, too generous. "'Of course you may come. "'I'd be most grateful for your help.' "'Good,' said Peter, jumping to his feet. "'That's settled, then. "'How do we get there?' "'By train,' said Parrot. "'By train?' echoed the astonished children. "'Yes,' said Parrot. "'Originally there was only a track up to our entrance. "'Then they put a train in, "'a narrow gauge, of course, round about 1800.' "'Well, the track passed right by our entrance, "'so we had to let the train in on our secret, you see. "'She's French, but a very good sort. "'In fact, I've forgotten how to find this entrance myself. "'I generally use one of the others, but the train knows. "'She's retired now, of course, "'and lives at the village of Diakofta. "'But I've seen her. She's in our village. "'I mean the village nearest our villa,' squeaked Penelope excitedly. "'You mean that dear little steam-engine that stands on a sort of stage near the station?' "'That's right,' said Parrot. "'How's she looking?' "'Fine,' said Penelope. "'She's sweet.' "'We never showed the diesel the entrance,' said Parrot. "'Untrustworthy things, diesels. But old Madame Hortense is all right. They don't build them like that these days. "'If we go up there tonight, she'll take us to the entrance of Methologia. From there we'll have to go on foot, following the river.' "'If there's a river, why can't we go by boat?' asked Simon. "'Ah, we could, if only we had one,' said Parrot. "'But we have,' shouted Peter triumphantly. "'It's behind this sand-dune.' "'You're joking,' said Parrot faintly. "'No,' said Penelope. "'Go and look.' Parrot took off from the top of his golden cage and soared over the sand-dune, glittering in the sun like a rainbow." He reappeared presently, and landed again on top of his cage. "'You shouldn't be flying about like that at your age,' shouted Dulcibel. "'I've told you before.' "'Magnificent!' said Parrot breathlessly. "'Magnificent! 
"'Just what we needed. Collapsible, and such a beautiful colour, too. "'Children, I'm so glad we met.' "'So are we,' said Penelope. "'Now let's make plans,' said Parrot. "'What I suggest is this. "'If you'll be kind enough to conceal me and Dulcibel "'in our cage up near the road somewhere, "'then you can come back at midnight, "'and we'll make our way to the village of Diakofta "'and persuade Madame Hortense to take us to the borders of Mythologia. "'From then on we can travel by boat. "'How does that strike you as a scrumptious plan?' "'Super,' said Simon, grinning. "'Simon and I will be in charge of weapons and things,' said Peter, "'and Penelope can be in charge of food and first aid.' "'Gosh,' said Simon, struck by a thought, "'how long is this going to take?' "'Several days, I would say,' said Parrot. "'Why?' "'What about your father, Penny?' asked Simon. "'How are we going to explain to him?' "'That's easy,' said Penelope. "'He told me I could go and camp on the beach when you two arrived. "'We'll just tell him we're camping. "'Leave that to me.' "'Well, so that's settled, so let's get cracking,' said Peter eagerly. Carefully they carried Parrot's cage up the hill, and concealed it not far from the road in a great cluster of myrtle-bushes. Then they rode back home, deflated the dinghy, and carried it up to the villa. As Penelope had promised, Uncle Henry made no fuss about their going to camp on the beach. "'It's a full moon,' explained Penelope, "'and we might spend several nights down there, so you're not to get worried.' "'No, I shan't,' said Uncle Henry. "'I loved camping out at full moon when I was your age. "'Well, have a good time.' "'The three children went off to pack up their supplies. "'Simon made three spears by tying sharp kitchen knives to bamboo poles, "'and Peter made slingshots out of forked olive-wood sticks "'and strong elastic that Penelope found. "'In addition they packed three flashlights, a compass, "'a first-aid box containing such things as gauze, bandages, and cotton wool,' and three large boxes of matches. Parrot had assured them that there would be plenty of food when they reached the crystal caves where H. H. lived, so they took only enough for twenty-four hours. They chose things that didn't have to be cooked, like raisins and nuts and chocolate. Then they sat on the bed and waited for midnight. As twelve o'clock struck, they crept out of the house and made their way down the moonlit road, carrying their weapons and supplies and the all-important dinghy. When they reached the myrtle bushes where they had left Parrot, they saw a strange glow, as of a campfire. As they crept closer they saw that Parrot had lit two candles in the candelabra on his harpsichord, and was playing a quiet, tinkly sort of tune, while Dulcibel hummed to herself. It was such a pretty scene, with the candlelight winking on the gold bars of the cage, and the polished wood of the harpsichord and other furniture, the soft music and Dulcibel's sweet little voice, that the children were loath to disturb Parrot, but they felt they must. "'Ha! there you are,' said Parrot, when he saw them, ending the tune by running one wingtip along the keyboard, and closing the lid of the harpsichord. "'Good, then we'll be off.' So, carrying Parrot's cage with Parrot sitting on top, the children set off for the village of Diakofta, which lay about a mile away. When they reached the village, they made their way through the silent streets until they came to the small railway station. There, sitting in all her glory, on a sort of small stage, with two pieces of rail for her to perch on, was Madame Hortense, looking more like a very large toy than a real engine. "'Yes, that's she,' said Parrot. "'Looks as though she's put on a bit of rust since I last saw her. 
"'or maybe it's just the moonlight.' "'I'm sure she hasn't,' said Penelope. "'She was beautifully oiled and looked after when I saw her. "'She was in a wonderful state of preservation.' "'Well,' said Parrot, "'I'll go and wake the old girl up.' "'So saying, he flew ahead of the children "'and landed on one of Madame Hortense's bumpers.' "'Alors, Hortense, my little cabbage, come along,' cried Parrot. "'Open those big eyes of yours, and let's be off.' Woken as she was out of a deep sleep, Madame Hortense uttered a short, sharp scream, which made Parrot almost fall off the bumper with astonishment. "'Elp, elp!' shouted Madame Hortense. "'My assassins is ere again.' "'Here,' said Parrot, "'give over. You'll have the whole village awake.' "'Mon Dieu!' "'Oh, it's you,' said Madame, in a husky voice, with a strong French-ask accent. "'Mon Dieu! Oh, you have frightened the life from me, creeping about like that in the night.' "'Who did you think it was?' asked Parrot. "'Stevenson's rocket come to pay you a visit?' "'Ah, mon perroquet,' said Madame Hortense. "'Always you joke. You know perfectly well that a good-looking engine in such perfect condition as me attracts a lot of attention, n'est-ce pas? Only the other night I had to call for help.' There were two men from the Science Museum in London trying to, how you say, kidnapping me. So I oodled and oodled, and the villagers saved me. I tell you, a train of my sort does not give up easily. I am not one of these stupid diesels. Of course not, said Parrot. Why, you are without doubt the prettiest little train I've ever seen, and I've been around quite a bit, you know. Ah, mon perroquet, sighed Madame Hortense. You always say the right thing to a lady. You are so gallant, so sympathetique, mon brave perroquet. Here, said Parrot, let me introduce my friends, Peter, Simon, and Penelope. Madame Hortense surveyed them. The boys are handsome, she said at last, especially the dark one. He reminds me of the first driver I had, but the girl, very dull, and what a lot of rust on its head, poor zing. "'That's my hair, and it's supposed to be that colour. said Penelope indignantly. "'Now, now, we didn't come here to start a beauty contest,' said Parrot soothingly. "'We came here to ask you a favour, Hortense, my darling.' "'For you, mon brave perroquet, I will be anything,' said Madame Hortense. "'Good,' said Parrot. "'Drive us to Mythologia, then.' "'What?' screeched Madame Hortense. "'Get out of my nice warm siding and go up the valley?' "'Me, who's retired? Me at my age, getting up the steam? "'No, no, no, never! I say, zut alors, this you cannot ask.' "'The argument went on for a long time. "'Parrot flattered and wheedled the little train, "'and the children told her how beautiful she was, "'how brave she was, and how important to mythologia she was, "'which was quite true. "'Well,' said Madame Hortense at last, "'I would do this thing.' "'but I cannot get down from these comfortable rail siding built special for me.' "'Oh, that's easy,' said Peter. Two planks of wood, and with your agility and skill we'll have you down in a jiffy.' "'Mon Dieu, he flatters like you, perroquet,' said Madame Hortense. "'Ah, well, if it is the fate, it is the fate. Bring your pieces of wood and let us commence.' Quickly the two boys got some planks of wood, and made a sort of slide down from the rails on which Madame Hortense stood to the ground below. Then they all got behind her and started to push. "'Sacré coucher!' cried Madame Hortense. "'Arder, arder, you must propel, alors, once again.' 
At last her small wheels got a purchase, and, creaking and gasping, she slid down the wooden ramp and squatted, panting, at the bottom. "'Wonderful,' said Peter. "'Now only a few more yards, madame, and you'll be on the nice, comfortable railway lines.' "'Zut alors,' said madame Hortense, in between gasps. "'The things I do for that parroquet!' While Peter and Simon coaxed Madame Hortense onto the lines, Penelope and Parrot searched the sidings for fuel that would make the little engine function. There was no coal, but they eventually found a pile of olive-wood logs. Penelope collected armfuls of these and put them into Madame Hortense's coal bunker. "'Careful, careful, do not bump the paintwork,' panted Madame Hortense. "'She was only painted nearly afresh the other day.' At last the bunker was full enough of wood. They filled up Madame Hortense's boiler from the station's tap, and were ready to start. It was only when the children went aboard that they realized how tiny Madame Hortense really was, for once Parrot and his cage were put into the engine's cab, there was only just enough room left over for the three children to squeeze in with their belongings. "'Are you aboard?' asked Madame Hortense. "'Then will you, Peter, have the goodness to light with a light my boiler?' "'It will be a pleasure, madame,' said Peter. Indeed, both he and Simon were railway enthusiasts, and so to be allowed just to travel in Madame Hortense would have been a thrill. To be allowed to drive her was an honour. Carefully they lit a piece of paper, and then piled chips of olive wood and shreds of bark over it, coaxing it into a core of fire. Then they piled on the olive logs, and soon the fire was roaring away in the furnace.' "'Ah, nom du wagon lit said Madame Hortense, drawing in great lungfuls of smoke and blowing them through her funnel. "'There is nothing like a good smoke when one's nerves is all entanglement.' Presently they got the boiler hot, and soon Madame Hortense uttered a triumphant, "'Whoosh! "'Excellent,' said Parrot admiringly. "'You're in excellent voice, my dear Hortense.' Flatterer, said Madame Hortense. Whoosh! Now, Peter, said Parrot, just ease off the brake there a bit, and, Simon, you give Madame a little more steam. Very slowly at first, then with ever-increasing speed, the wheels started to turn. More of the chuff, 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 steam, cried Madame Hortense. Remove, chuff, 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 the brake, chuff, chuff, more of the steam, chuff, 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 allures, mes braves, we have started, vive la France, chuff, 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 chuff. Wonderful, shouted Simon, vive Madame Hortense. Here, here, shouted Parrot. Have you taken your pill? yelled Dulcibel to Parrot. "'You know you're always train-sick.' "'The little train gathered speed, "'clanking, rattling, and clinking along the rails, "'enveloped in clouds of steam, "'her boiler glowing like a ruby "'as Peter and Simon plied it with fresh olive-wood logs, "'heading toward the range of mountains "'that lay purple and black in the moonlight. "'The ride up into the valley was tremendously exciting. "'The tiny railway wound to and fro, "'in and out of the towering cliffs of rock.' It ran over deep gorges where great white waterfalls glinted in the moonlight, and where the river was pushed between jagged rocks, so that it looked like the giant glistening talons of some strange bird. 
Under the dark cliffs the children could see the green lights of fireflies, and above the roar of the many waterfalls, and the clack and chuff of Madame Hortense's progress, they could hear the plaintive toink, toink of the scop's owl calling in the trees. "'We are starting up the hill! Chuff-a-chuff, chuff-a-chuff, chuff-a-chuff!' panted Madame Hortense. "'Make more the steam!' So Peter and Simon piled more and more logs on. So Peter and Simon piled more and more logs on, and the fire grew brighter and the sparks flew out, so that the little train left a trail like a comet behind it as it chuffed on. "'Ha-ha!' laughed Parrot, as Madame Hortense went faster and faster, her little wheels singing on the rails. "'By Jove, you're game, Hortense, my dear. Always did enjoy train travel, but with you it's positively celestial.' "'Flatterer!' Madame Hortense panted, and gave a couple of shrill "'Weep-weeps!' on her whistle, to show how pleased she was. "'When they were halfway up the mountainside, "'she came to a panting, gasping halt in a cloud of steam. "'Sacré couché!' she gasped, "'the steam rising around her like a silver cloud in the moonlight. "'Here we rest for a moment, and you may give me a drink.' "'So Peter and Simon took turns fetching water from a nearby waterfall "'for Madame Hortense.' Presently, with her boiler full, Madame Hortense was ready to proceed. "'It's not far now, is it, Hortense?' asked Parrot, as they climbed aboard. "'No, only a little bit more,' she replied, as she started to chuff her way up the slope. Soon the track levelled out. On either side lay a deep gorge, in which the river squeezed between the rocks, and frothed and bubbled and winked in the moonlight.' Then ahead of them stretched a cliff face in which were two tunnels, like two black gaping mouths. The track at this point divided and disappeared into these two tunnels. Madame Hortense drew to a halt by the point switch. "'Please to descend and switch the points,' she panted. "'It is the left-hand tunnel we want.' Peter and Simon got down onto the track, and together, for the points lever was very stiff, they switched the points." then they climbed aboard again. Slowly Madame Hortense moved forward and went clackety-clack over the points, and then picked up speed. The tunnel loomed closer and closer, larger and larger, like the mouth of a yawning giant, and Penelope, not that she was frightened, but because it seemed the thing to do in the circumstances, took hold of Peter's and Simon's hands. Then they dived into the tunnel, and Madame Hortense startled them all by letting out two ear-splitting screams on her whistle. "'Here!' shouted Parrot. "'What's that for?' "'Ze bats!' panted Madame Hortense. "'They hang on ze roof, poor zings, and become suffocated if I do not warn them.' It was very eerie going through the tunnel, because the only light they had was the light from Madame Hortense's boiler, and so they could catch only vague glimpses of the roof, with its stalactites hanging down like spear-tips, dripping water. Presently Madame Hortense gave another sharp scream on her whistle. "'Please, to put on the brake slowly,' she cried. "'We have arrived.' Slowly Peter and Simon applied the brakes, and with much hoarse gasping and puffing, the little train drew to a halt. "'All alight for Mythologia! Mythologia, this stop!' shouted Parrot, and his voice echoed and re-echoed in the tunnel. "'A nasty damp place,' said Dulcibel's voice. "'You should be wearing your cloak. If you catch a chill, don't blame me.' They got down onto the track and unloaded their supplies and Parrot's cage. 
Then they clustered around Madame Hortense to say good-bye. "'I think you're the most wonderful train,' said Penelope, "'and it was a gorgeous ride. Thank you very much.' "'It was nothing, chérie,' said Madame Hortense. "'It does show you what we old ones can do, n'est-ce pas?' "'Madame Hortense, it was an honour to ride in you,' said Peter. "'A privilege and an honour, madame,' said Simon. "'You drove me very well,' said Madame Hortense. "'Very well, indeed.' "'Hortense,' said Parrot, "'I, my friends, and the whole of Mythologia are deeply grateful to you. "'We will never forget you.' "'Dear Perroquet,' said Madame Hortense, "'you know that for you I will always do anything.' <coughs> "'You'll be all right going back?' asked Parrot. "'Yes, mon brave, I will, how you say, coast back. "'It is down the hill all the way. "'Now, you know the way? "'It is the branch tunnel on the left, about fifteen meters away.' "'Right,' said Parrot. "'We'll be off, then. "'Good-bye, dear Hortense, and thank you again.' "'Good-bye, mon perroquet, and bon chance,' sighed Madame Hortense, "'in a sentimental cloud of steam.' Lighting their flashlights, the children made their way down the tunnel for about a hundred and fifty feet. "'Here it is,' said Parrot suddenly, "'the entrance to Mythologia.' Shining their flashlights, the children could see a cleft in the rock on the side of the tunnel, a cleft some three feet wide and six feet high, that looked rather like a narrow church door. "'This is the frontier post,' explained Parrot. Five minutes walk, and we'll be in Mythologia.' This is a very long chapter, so I think I'll stop there for now, and we'll finish chapter two another day. Bye.